This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everyone, uh, just coming in today with a, a, a quick update on a scenario that's going down in uh, down here in Florida, and actually um, Chase, one of our field staff writers, joining us today for uh, we're going to discuss a little bit of an article that he wrote um, over. Um, I guess it's it's uh, some concerns that the state and many individuals have it. Uh, it's some water management practices going on over at, at Piney Point in a situation that, that could get a little a little weird. So we just want to bring light to it a little bit, discuss it, and uh, and then kind of give you some updates as, as to what's going on. So this will be separate from, from the show that, that you're going to hear in just a moment uh, with with Kendra up in, uh, in Canada. But good time to talk as it relates to water quality, and, and we're spending a lot of time talking about food underwater with her. So, uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Chase, if you want to give us a brief introduction on kind of what's going on. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Justin. Um, so basically the situation is, uh, it's a reservoir full of, uh, waste material, wastewater from an old phosphate mine. And for anybody who doesn't know phosphate mining and basically fertilizers or industry is, a huge uh, driver in Florida. We mine, we pull a lot of phosphates out of the ground. So this reservoir and a uh, tailing dam was holding back a lot of this wastewater full of uh, material. And 
a report came out that some of the water was bypassing treatment. It was being uncontrollably discharged into the Gulf of Mexico. So that set off a lot of alarms for people because I don't know if you were here, have heard Justin about the, uh, the red tide bloom back in 2019. Yep. Yep. I have. So that was everybody's kind of worst case scenario that this would just be a, a tidal wave of nutrient loaded water that would wash down to the Gulf of Mexico and kill all the snook and redfish. Um, the state evacuated residents nearby uh, to the to the stack and started monitoring the situation. Currently, it's kind of it's stabilized. Uh, I have the daily update right here, and it says that sampling around the waterways. Uh, found that bloom conditions have been observed in the localized area of previous discharges. To date, results have ranged from non-detect to trace levels of cyanotoxins. So that would be the, the toxin produced by the red tide uh, algae. So no reported fish kills yet. So that's a good thing. Uh, the discharges have ceased. And they're working on pre-treating the water before they had to do any other discharges because this thing was at one point in danger of just going and they have to do something with this water now. So I, I don't know if we mentioned it. Where where exactly in the state of Florida is uh, is this located at? Well, it's on the Gulf Coast, so the west coast of Florida, just south of uh, Tampa a few miles. Okay. So I was just saying it's going to be the, the Bishop Harbor area. Anybody's familiar with that? Okay, not not entirely familiar with it, but know the general area of sort. Um, so you you wrote an article uh, recently that we published last week. Uh, it's titled "We Suck at This," and uh, it it kind of highlights it. But I think you you hit some really good points in there uh, that I kind of wanted to to discuss a, a little more. And um, you know. What was kind of your thoughts behind your article uh, whenever you put it out there? Because you didn't really come at where you're like, oh, yeah, we're covering exactly what's going on, like minute by minute, blow by blow. But you had sort of a, a, some thoughts on the approach and um, kind of the, the thoughts behind it all. Yeah, so I I was watching it unfold and I was kind of taking a kind of taking a look at the kind of media coverage that I'd seen on stuff like this. Uh, anybody who out there who doesn't know is not familiar with Florida. Water management is such a contentious issue in this state because we basically changed the hydrology of the entire state and it's irreversible at this point. So we have to figure out what to do with all this water. There's a lot of conflicting uh, opinions on that. So I, what things I noticed is, you know, sometimes you get two sides. To an argument one side is saying oh it's not that bad the other side is saying it's the sky is falling when in truth the, the it's kind of somewhere in the middle like i said there's been no reported fish kills as a result of this but fish kills can also happen because of other things so just because you know if you fish you're dead on the beach mm -hmm. it doesn't mean, oh tiny point killed them probably not 
but it could happen. It's not out of the realm of possibility. But running around, you know, with your head on fire is not helping, and also ignoring it is not helping. That's the two kind of conflicting sides that I've noticed with the media coverage. So, I, I mean, how do you think that? How do you think we should go about thinking about it? Uh, then, so uh, obviously, cause for concern because we we want to try to eliminate situations like this. Um, while not overreacting because we still in the state of Florida have to deal with water management issues. And that includes, you know, things from agriculture, from uh, mining, from transportation, from, you know, uh, stormwater treatment, uh, wastewater treatment, as far as human wastewater, all, all those things like factor, uh, you know, because we're covered, we're covered by three sides by water. So, and it, and they all flow outward. You know, we were talking about it in my travels this week. The fact that, uh, you know, driving through the greater Miami metropolitan area, there's canals everywhere because much of that land used to be, you know, flooded marsh areas, you know, historically. So we've kind of made this map of canals and movement of water to shape the landscape so we can inhabit it. But now we... Now we're seeing a lot of the side effects uh, as the population grows and as activity on the land grows where we're having to sort of consider that as well. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And that kind of becomes to the, the crux of the issue is like how do we deal with these things when, you know, the, the perfect solution would be to you know, have it restored to its natural flow. Well, at this point, it's possible. Like there's some projects along – the semi river to restore it, but you're never going to get back to what it was pre Columbia times, pre Columbian. Mm-hmm. So, one thing that I think people miss is the the development as a whole, because this is going to get blamed. Like this is this is the single touch point, right? This is going to a lot of stuff could get blamed on Piney Point and the nutrient loading calls from that just like a lot was blamed from the last big red tide event on the agriculture. When in fact, it's a multitude of different issues going on here, namely development. So you want to talk about nutrient loading, a lot of nutrients, and this ties back into Piney Point kind of in two different ways. A lot of nutrients don't come from those fertilizers necessarily from the uh, the phosphate mines or even the the big agriculture sugarcane and you know the manure mm-hmm. from the cow, cattle ranches they actually come from backyards the pesticides and the fertilizers that we dump on our yards because we have we want this nice uh, you know Saint Augustine grass that does not grow well here. That's what was planted in my yard when I bought bought the house and I haven't maintained it at all. And yeah, it died, but it kind of came back with, you know, some more native grasses. But a lot of, you go around and every sign you see for a long time. Sorry, we, we were talking about that too on our drive as far as like the differences in yards. And we had almost the same exact conversation where we were, uh, you know, discussing like a, a lot of the runoff and stuff and 
you know, people strive to to bring these non-native plants in, grasses, uh, other trees and shrubbery and all this other stuff into the state and uh, expect them to grow in a climate where they're not meant to. And so a lot of times, you know, you have to feed those a lot of fertilizer and you have to make a lot of soil amendments and things like that. And that with the amount of water that we get and the the ability for it to quickly get into the uh, natural water system. I mean, it's just, it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. And so that's, a that's one of the issues is just, we've been developing every piece of green space at, as fast as we can, which is only going to exacerbate mm-hmm. these issues we're having right now. And another, another way that it kind of, you can look at it more on a global scale is this, mine was put in place because there was an industry and a need for it um and we have these types of mines these structures basic premise is that you build a reservoir to house wastewater because you can't just release it whether it's um phosphates or copper leachate from acid mining you can't release this stuff back into the, um, the environment, at least not without a whole lot of treatment. But in the case of acid leachate, like it's just going to sit there forever. So we've got thousands of these mines all over the world. And they've got a fairly good track record. But just because there's so many, even a 1% fail rate, on a tailings dam or a reservoir still is three failures a year. So if you can imagine yeah, like this type of ecosystem altering event happening three times a year somewhere in the world, like eventually it's going to be bad. Like it's going to be a real bad day. If one of these more poisonous wastewaters spills into a, you know, a residential area or, you know, I'm, in the article I brought up, you know, look at this, this was Bristol Bay or the Boundary Waters, both of which have had proposed precious metal mines. Um, both, sorry, both of which are proposed sites for precious metal mines. And one of them, Bristol Bay, is the largest and most important source for the salmon uh, industry commercial salmon fishing so if that was gone we would lose that entire mm-hmm. wild resource and the boundary waters is a huge natural wilderness area enjoyed by thousands every year so yeah it's a it's a wild scenario to think of you know um it's something we definitely i think have to make a conscious effort to think about just just as as we leave our human footprint on this world um, we just have to have the ability to consider the damage that we're doing and the potential impact. And, you know, uh, there's always going to be a need for, you know, consumerism drives things the way they do. So you always have to consider the fact that those mines are things are going to be there, but I think doing a, the right thing and, and finding ways to protect those precious, uh, environments that we have or ecosystems, you know, 
and something something as easy as like hey should i fertilize my yard or should i not fertilize my yard you know what's going to grow there what's not going to grow there like that has impacts uh of its own so yeah and you have to you have to kind of do a risk assessment every time you see one of these things come up because every time a mine site gets proposed they say oh it's one it's safe like but as i just pointed out like the numbers can be a little bit misleading because it looks safe on paper but when you take it out into broader context you're running a huge risk so you have to you have to learn you have to figure out like is this risk worth it like is this the right mine in the right place or is it the wrong mine in the wrong place and what is it going to provide so argument with bristol bay was it's going to bring all these jobs right well there's already jobs up there and a thriving industry maybe it's not as much as the mine would provide but if you destroy that resource then that's a number of jobs that are just never going to be there again and as far as technology we're always going to be playing catch up like you can mine all the precious metals mm-hmm. in the entire world and it's never going to be enough. I think, uh, let's, let's finish it off. I encourage everybody to monitor this. We got a link over in uh chase's article, article titles. We suck at this and, uh, uh, I'll put it in the show notes here of this, this entire podcast. But if you can finish this off with your Aldo Leopold quote, I think it's a great way to close this out. Yeah, no problem. I love this quote. I reference this a lot when I'm writing into, I reference it when I'm writing into um, MCORs to try to fight a, a new toll road. I write, I've incorporated my writing. I look at it as, you know, when I'm do, even doing my own projects. Uh, so the quote is, a thing is right when it tends to preserve the integrity, stability, and beauty of the biotic community. It is wrong when it tends otherwise. So bottom line, this is not, Piney Point is not the end of the world. Guy's not falling. But this is the kind of thing that we need to watch. So when you're looking at another project like this coming online, you have to weigh those two things, whether or not it's how much damage is it doing to the biotic community versus is it worth it? So it might be that it's wrong. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we're going to leave you with this uh, food for thought. Um, enjoy the rest of the podcast episode. And, and thanks for Chase for hopping on and giving us an update on this. We'll, we'll keep a close eye on it. And hopefully it doesn't develop at all. Uh, but I encourage you, like I said, to think consciously and, and watch it closely. Today we're having a good uh, a crew chat. Uh, we're going to introduce you to a new new crew member. Uh, has written for the Harvest of Nature for a couple months now, but the first time on the podcast. So we're excited to get to meet her in just a little bit. But uh, first off, we're going to go through some of our news and updates on what's going on sort of in, in our world. So uh, for me, really shifting gears as far as turkey season coming up here in Florida. Uh, looking forward to spring bear. Um, in May, yeah, May in, in Oregon. So I'm going to get out to the West coast and then follow on potentially up at the backcountry hunter and anglers rendezvous doing a little cooking up there possibly. So, uh, I know they released those tickets, 
Uh, it's still TBD due to COVID restrictions and whatnot, but they're going to do it outside, which is encouraging. Um, so if you have the opportunity to go and you feel comfortable going, uh, I invite you. You might get to see my friendly face there uh, slaving over a hot stove, uh, which is always fun to see. <laughs> um, Corey, what updates do you got? Oh, not much. Uh, it was actually warm today. We got in the 60s up here in PA. So things are, are starting to turn into spring. Kendra, what's the weather like? Uh, what's the weather like uh, out on the West Coast there? Oh, we got blue skies, chilly, chilly breeze, chilly to the soul. It kind of just goes right through you, but blue <laughs> skies. So I can't complain. <laughs> nice. All right. Sorry, Corey. I was just curious. No problem. Um, springtime in Pennsylvania, a lot of people like to go trout fishing, and PA has a, an extensive trout stocking program, which is like put-and-take trout. Um, and one thing I like to do every year with my kids is help the Pennsylvania Fish Commission stock a stream. So I, I take the kids out of the school for a day, and we go with the Fish Commission. We help stock trout and in local streams and it's a lot of fun that you get out of school get to have fun and learn the stream a little bit where 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 you can go fishing and access points and all that so my dad used to do that with me when i was a kid and so i like to do it with my kids so looking forward to that that's a cool tradition uh is that coming up here pretty quick yeah we're going next next week week from today is all the is all the water thawed out yeah yep everything Everything is thought out. The streams don't typically freeze up here. It doesn't get that that cold. Just like the just the lakes, lakes and ponds and stuff. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for those uh, for that update there. Any, anything else hot going on? Nope. Starting to practice uh, practice my turkey calling. Nice. Yeah, me too. I get that new uh, I get the new Phelps three pack of the diaphragm calls. I gotta start going with those. Yeah, I I forget the brand. I I bought it from a, a local outdoor shop, so it's it's not a big national brand, I don't think. But uh, yeah, I've been practicing. With that. All right. Well, I do have a hat giveaway. We got a sweet five star review, a little written uh, written note here, and as always. Tell everybody that if you go on to whatever podcast platform you're listening to, and you can use the show note links uh, as well. There's a rate your podcast link there or rate the podcast. But you can go there, click that, hit the five-star button. If you leave us a review, uh, we'll read it on the air uh, and send you a hat. You just shoot us an email back. So the review is, what a great find. Keep up the great podcasts. And that's a review out of Canada, actually coincidentally for this episode which works uh over on itunes so pretty cool stuff so if, if that's your review reach out to us shoot us an email at what's cooking at harvestingnature.com let us know which hat you'd like out of the store your mailing address and we'll we'll get that on the way so thanks for the review thanks for the support and i hope you enjoy your hat Corey, you want to talk a little bit about the adventures for food podcast the Adventures for Food. It's another series of podcasts that we have here on Harvesting Nature. It's a lot different than this one. It's just someone telling their story. Yeah, it's much shorter and you don't have to listen to me talk the whole time, which is great. Right. Yeah, there's there's no there's no host, there's no question and answer. It's just one person telling their story. 
And I've, I think I've invited the listeners before, but if you're out there and you have a good hunting or fishing story, which we all do, shoot me an email or shoot an email to what's cooking at harvestingnature.com. Give us your contact information. We'll reach out and get you scheduled to record that episode. We have, I think I have about, uh, I'd say f- half a dozen guys scheduled that, that have reached out to, to tell their story. So we need, we need more storytellers. So absolutely. Also too. So our Facebook community page, uh, if you haven't joined that, the links over in the show notes. So that gives you a little more interaction point with us. We have a regular Facebook page, but this is community group where, uh, we got followers that, that weigh in. Uh, we talk about comments. We ask about podcast topics, questions, uh, share recipes, uh, all that great stuff. It's a really cool interaction. I think Corey and I are on there off and on throughout the day, just chatting it up, not to each other, but to other people, maybe it's, to each it's other. It's basically the only reason I keep Facebook. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm tired of Facebook, but that's basically the only reason I keep it. What's well, good. Well, now we've got a reason. See, Facebook looped you in again. You didn't even realize that. Right, yeah. So uh, the other thing I want to hit on, uh, so we have another new podcast too, Antler and Finn. Uh, that's a full audio cookbook. So it's pretty cool. We're taking our, our top 45 recipes from last year and, uh, putting those to audio form so you can listen to it as you cook, pause, play, repeat all the ingredients, all the steps, everything in audio now. So check that out. That's on its own channel. So you'll have to go search for that one. Antler and Finn. It's also listed on our website too. And then, uh, we've got the biased coffee link. So if you want to support us there, uh, you can hit the buy us coffee button in the show notes and that'll let you uh, buy us a nice cup of uh, strong brew to help us through the nights of edca- uh, podcast editing and, uh, you know, writing articles and going on adventures and all that jazz. So uh, three bucks, three bucks goes a long way. We've had a few supporters already and it's it's pretty awesome to see. And I appreciate those that have donated so far. So, boom, admin stuff over. Let's let's go into it. Actually. I want to talk. Let's let's introduce Kendra first, um, and then we can talk about the recipes in a, in a little while. I'm going to do it different today, so I'm changing it up, but it's okay. All right. So our guest today is new field staff writer for Harvest in Nature. Some of her contributions to the to the website are the recipe Poke Bowl Dreaming and a great article Just Keep Swimming. Uh, you can find both of those on our website as well as uh, in the show notes. She's a free diver, rock climber, forager, world traveler. I like that piece. And uh, she's she's chilling, living a, a minimalist lifestyle up in British Columbia. So I welcome uh, Kendra Stoner to the to the podcast. Welcome. Woohoo! Thanks for having me, Justin and Corey. I'm stoked to be here. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you grew up, uh, how you're introduced to the outdoors. Cool. Yeah, grew up on uh, the west coast of Canada in British Columbia, as west as you can get, Vancouver Island to be exact. Um, born and raised, always kind of enjoyed being in the outdoors. I grew up playing team sports that were m- mostly indoors, um, soccer, basketball, volleyball, those kind of things. And then after my college career playing volleyball, I decided to jump out into the outdoors and see kind of fully what I could get up to out there. Um, Yeah, bought a Volkswagen van, moved into that, 
just kind of drove around the coast and went down to Oregon coast, which was sweet. Started surfing there, um, came up and now I'm living in Tofino, which is pretty much the coolest place you could possibly live in the world, but don't tell your friends, don't tell people to come stay out. <laughs> You're like, no, 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 this don't, don't come here. Crime is high. Real estate yeah. prices are through the roof. Like you don't, just don't. Yeah. It's not pretty here at all. No, <laughs> don't Google Tofino right now. If you don't know what Tofino is either. <laughs> I've, I've seen the pictures on, yeah. uh, on your articles. It looks oh, terrible. Nice. It's awful. Yeah. <laughs> don't recommend it. But yeah, I, I reside here. I work remote for right now with financial Institute running marketing and, and a TV show, which is kind of funny, but doing that nice. right now. Yeah. And then writing for you guys, it's been pretty fun. Sweet. Mm. Um, so, uh, you you now participate in a, a slew of outdoor activities. What's at, what's at the top of your list? Ooh, it changes all the time. When I first started living in my van, I was an avid rock climber. I was like, if I see a slab of rock, I'm going to go climb that thing. Moved to Squamish and did that. Um, Tofino's more so the surfing and more so the harvesting, foraging kind of lifestyle. Last summer, every day I was in the forest or in the kelp beds exploring and with my harvest basket and collecting all the goodies that I could find along the, the coastline or, or in the, the shallow waters. Um, and yeah, just that whole lifestyle of being able to contribute to my healthy living Um lifestyle that I want to portray and want to not portray. What's the word I'm looking for? I want to live. I want to live healthy and live sustainably and feel good about what I'm putting in my body. It feels, feels good to be able to gather your own stuff and know where everything's coming from and, and understand the species and the, the cycle of their life in the environment that I'm, that I'm living and residing in. And it's just a really cool, cool experience. Do you find that, um, Go, going out and foraging and, and gathering and, and even harvesting, you know, fishing or whatnot too. Also, uh, do you think like it in increases the experience for you when it comes down to eating? Like you find it more enjoyable than something, something you go out and get from the store or restaurants? Oh, a hundred percent. I think the ability to look at a plate and say that I found this or I harvested this or I caught this is such a unique experience. Um, working up at, I worked at a fishing lodge in Haida Gwaii for a couple summers and being able to come home with a freezer full of vac-packed salmon and halibut and whatever I caught just to bring to my parents and be like, hey, I caught this, like, let's cook it up together. And it's just such a special special experience it's not just yes we need to eat as humans it's not hey i'm going to go to mcdonald's and just get mm -hmm. food because i need to get food it's a matter of i'm providing myself nutrients that are so good for me and the experience in the story as well you can eat your ling cod that you just caught that morning and and have your chanterelle mushrooms and explain stories of seeing a whale or seeing bears out in the forest and it's just so much more unique and special I think it's cool. We, we've been having a lot of conversations lately with the with the various guests that have come on the show, and just talking like, I, I think twenty twenty brought up a lot of food security questions, and people were like, "Oh, like I want to try to lean towards this lifestyle of like being more self sufficient." And I think a lot of people are successfully, which is good. I I invite those that want to do it to do it, um, you know. And then on the on the other side, it's like uh, as 
you know, living in North America as a whole, like there's a lot of, there is food security and we're very fortunate for that. So I think that it takes a little bit of effort to sort of step outside uh, that bubble of food security and say, you know what, I'm going to harvest my own meat. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to grow my own vegetables. I'm going to, you know, raise my own livestock. I'm going to do things that are sort of outside the norm because I have that connection or I want that connection or I, I want to be more uh, in control and, and enjoying of my food. Like, I think it's a noble, it's a noble cause. Yeah. And I think there's the connection piece to the experience of catching the fish and the food and, and foraging in that way. But there's also the connection piece to the earth. Like Mm -hmm. if you are an advocate, like environmentalist and you don't want to be, you want to live a plastic free life or be as close to plastic free as you can. When you're harvesting your own stuff, you're not necessarily using all these packaging and, and even though you're recycling cardboard that comes in these packages, it's still going through a process. And I think even that connection piece with the plastic free and just living waste free as much as you can, I think is an important, important aspect as well. Hey, you know, I, I hadn't really thought about that, but that's a that's a very valid point. And you think about even people that process their own game um, or, you know, processing your own fish like vaccine, like you're still you're still using some as you go through the process. Uh, but, you know, if I go to the grocery store and I buy a packet of steak, right, you know, it's going to come with a foam tray. It's going to come with plastic wrap and like those things aren't necessarily uh, most cases they aren't recyclable. Uh, because the type of material they're made out of and it's just like hmm it's a good it's a good thought but yeah i like the Mm. idea of recycling the cardboards and and even like on the foraging side and getting out like you you don't really require as much stuff uh you can reuse stuff pretty easily too definitely yeah i think it's a huge huge piece for me why i do it and i think a matter of my carbon emissions as well. Like if I'm going mm-hmm. on a boat to go out fishing, I'm I'm driving my car to get to the dock. I'm using gas from the boat to get out there. Or if I'm going off the shore, maybe I ride my bike to the beach in my wetsuit and then I jump in the water and I come back. I'm not using anything that's going into the environment that's unhealthy. Like it's mm-hmm. very sustainable. It's very environmentally friendly. And I think, I don't know, I get stoked on that. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's rad. And, and I think about it too, and and often the way that my mind works, I think about like, oh, well, how does somebody look at it from the other side of like saying, well, you know, you're you're lucky to live along the coast, or if, you know, for me, like you're lucky to to live on an island or be able to travel or you know uh, have access to all these things. Like, well, what do I do as the individual who can't access it? Like, where do I go to find my food or my adventure or you know those sort of things? And um, I think Corey, you uh, you brought this up. Uh, you and Colin actually both brought this up when we talked with uh, uh, with Nick from Huntivore, and, and he was like, "Hey, like your 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 adventure, your source of food, like doesn't have to be miles and miles away. Like it could be in your backyard, it could be in your neighborhood park, it could be at your you know wherever it's legal to hunt or fish or whatever in your area. But it's sort of stepping outside that that zone that we were just talking about. I think it's." It's cool. I don't know. I just like I play uh, devil's advocate in my head sometimes. Like, well, I don't want to. I don't want it to be misconstrued in a way to say like, oh yeah, this is special and unique and all this. And like, it's I. I only want it for myself, and mm-hmm. certainly not true. 
Yeah, and I think we're definitely speaking from a lot of privilege with what mm -hmm. we're able to be able to do. And I think if we have the capacity, the resources and the ability to do so, I think everybody can make a difference in some aspect, whether it's um, shopping locally and organic or if it's going out and foraging your own food. I think there's ways that everybody can cut back on their big footprint on this planet. Yeah. Nice. Agreed. Um <laughs> Well, let's, uh, let's switch gears here a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about some food, uh, some recipes. <laughs> Me too. Um, so I, I really dig, uh, the poke bowl that you came up with. Uh, is that like your go-to, go-to poke recipe? Yeah, I would say that's my go-to poke recipe and I'm not going to throw the chefs in town under the bus but I'm going to a little bit and I'm going to say I have not ate a poke bowl that has topped mine. <laughs> and I have backup resources that will confirm the same. So <laughs> yeah. So in the, uh, uh, in the article you go with like tuna, correct? Correct. Yeah. What, what do you, do you, uh, you switch it up, mix in other fish, use salmon or, or any other types? I think you definitely could. I think for me, I was really lucky to be able to go 70 miles offshore this mm -hmm. summer with um, uh, ex-NHL hockey player, Willie Mitchell. He owns, um, part owns the Tofino Resort and Marina, a big resort in town. And he's got this really nice boat that can definitely get you out there. And we went out, I think in June and we caught, I think he has a commercial fishing license. I think we got like 50 tuna or something oh, wow. collectively in our, in our boat. So I was able to get 10 tuna processed and um, some I got smoked and canned. And then mm -hmm. most of it, I got loin backpack sealed. Um, I don't have the means to do it myself right now, but um, I know how to backpack and do all that stuff. But I went and got a, a local company to do it instead. So I've been kind of sitting on a gold mine with some some tuna this past few months. So um, tuna has been kind of my, my go to. But I wouldn't mind switching it up and doing salmon. Maybe I'll get salmon fish in here pretty quick. That'd be pretty cool. Spear salmon. Oh, my God. That would be awesome. Yeah, I, I, that was a. Uh, I, I definitely have a lot of questions about that. Um, with um, you know, with your your article uh, where you talk about swimming with the salmon, like that's it's oh, yeah. gonna be. It, it seems pretty neat to me because in my mind. So first off, I, I don't think I've ever seen a salmon in the wild. Just I'm from the southern part of the United States, pretty much all my life, and um, it, it's not common. So right. to I've seen them in restaurants and I've processed them and you know, all, all that jazz, but like to see one in the wild is like, Oh cool. There's a salmon swimming by in the river. There's one jumping on the waterfall or there's a bear eating one or whatever, but to be in the water as part of the ecosystem, oh, uh, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of experience, like how, how did it work for you or, Oh, you can't, you can't top it. I have chills just thinking about it. It was unreal. It was like mid salmon run or just at the beginning of it, I guess. Um, so it's really smelly, Justin, when it start Ooh. when they start dying and, and, you know, they, they lay their eggs and then they die and then they slowly start to wash up on shores and it's really stinky. It's a beautiful experience and a beautiful concept of what they do. Like they're so smart and strong and to be able to swim up uh, rivers that they've done before and, and do and lay their eggs and, and know that they're going to die after it just, it blows my mind, but yeah, the stink is not good. So um, when I went, it wasn't super stinky. And plus I've got a face mask on. Um, 
or snorkel mask on and I'm diving down probably, I don't know, eight meters or so. I don't know what metric system you guys use. Is that like um, tw- yeah. like 15 feet? Tw- yeah. 15 feet-ish? Yeah. Was it three three feet roughly? Three feet? Yeah. 20 something. Yeah. 20 something feet. We'll yeah. say. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. So you can dive down in these canals at the spot that I went and look up and see a hundred like I want to call them kind of like zombie walkers. Like they're so exhausted. They're just kind of cruising, chilling in this pretty mellow spot before they have to take off and try and get up this huge freaking waterfall. So they're kind of gearing up, getting some momentum and energy and, and just kind of chilling. And yeah, man, oh, it was just the coolest thing. And you're only, I'm free diving. So you get what mm-hmm. you get with your, your breath holds and you're just so pumped up and excited but you got to remain as calm as you can and plus you don't Mm want to scare them as well so at one part in my article I explain how I was climbing down I got to mix free dive my love for free diving and climbing in the same activity (laughs) and and wildlife oh my gosh but I was climbing down this rock wall to be able to get to this one little crevasse that I could look up and see this huge school of fish right beside me um so yeah, had to hold my breath as long as I could so I could experience that and swim under them to get up on the other side so I don't disturb the disturb them as much as I could, but oh, yeah, magic. It really really was. It was just the coolest sight you'll ever be able to see. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty neat. Cord, do you guys have you guys have some salmon up there, some Atlantic salmon runs, right? I mean, not in Pennsylvania, but there's the Great Lakes salmon uh, in Erie. They used to, I, th- I think they stocked them for a period of time and then they stopped doing it and now it's steelhead. Okay. But I want to say that there's still salmon runs in New York, like the west side of New York, upstate New York. So- I think there's there's some like Maine, Connecticut. Uh, I don't maybe not. Well, yeah, those maybe are the, the, I, I, I don't know because those would be ocean running. All the ones that I know of are are out of the Great Lakes. Hmm. Okay, that's cool. Just thinking ahead uh, in my in my life and travels of salmon. I I have a fascination with salmon. I've never told you guys this. I was like, I was debating heavily. I got into this summer uh, or this past summer doing a lot of research and trying to understand salmon and sort of like everything going on it. And a while I was looking, I was like, maybe I go to grad school and do some marine biology and do some salmon studies and all that. And then uh, shifted gears, we'll say, but (laughs) nonetheless. So talking about spearfishing, now that we've talked about diving for salmon, now we move on to to spearfishing a little bit. Uh, How long have you been spearfishing? Spearfishing? I shot my first spear gun in not long ago maybe uh june of 2020 okay yeah nice yeah i've kind of i've been free diving for a while just checking out stuff starting to learn about sea cucumbers sea urchins and harvesting those those and i had a friend take me out to this pretty remote spot out here and and um do you want to shoot the gun i'm like yep (laughs) (laughs) so shot that um realized I was a bit out of my league um, having all this like with the rope with the gun doing that and not necessarily knowing a lot about spearfishing and the species and sizing and where like what time of year is for what species and all of the regulations and everything I felt mm-hmm. a little 
a little overwhelmed after it's, that, after I, I learned there's so much to it. Hey, it, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, my, myself, like coming down to the keys, uh, five years ago, I got a spear gun and kind of did it a little bit. And then the beginning of 2020 kind of started getting into it a little more serious with like a group of guys here and been doing it, but I'm, I'm very, very novice. Like I'll, I'll stay on the boat and just handle fish. Sometimes I just like to go out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. Um, but yeah, after I shot that gun, I was like pretty stoked on the concept of being able to get my fish while free diving. Cause I've been free diving mm-hmm. a lot. Um, I decided to get a spear pole instead. And I felt like I was really oh, yeah. getting down to the roots of where this, this activity came from. Um, historically it was a stick and a little, rock that was tied to the stick and it was sharpened and off you went and that was kind of the culturally beginning of it all so I felt like it was a pretty um organic and and good place for me to start with it so got the pole and I've still been rocking the rocking the pole it's my birthday next month so I'm uh I'm putting out the feelers to get work on getting myself a gun now that I feel a bit more comfortable. I've gone through a lingcod season. I've gone through seeing what the fish look like underwater from greenling to mm-hmm. lingcod to blackfish to rockfish to all of them. I, I've Not all of them. There's a lot out there. But I feel more confident about my abilities to forage and handle another tool under the water. That's another thing with freediving. Like right now I'm re- repping a watch and a light that sits on my hand. And a knife that's mostly around my my leg. And when you're in kelp beds and stuff, you want as little aero like dynamicity. <laughs> you want as little things on your body that could potentially get stuck. You've got your snorkel. You've got all these different things that could potentially get stuck underwater, and you you really don't want that. So to add another element like a gun, it's just an it's another thing that I need to be aware mm-hmm. of and and confident with using. Could you, for those who who aren't familiar with the uh, kelp beds, could you like paint? Could you paint us a picture, a beautiful Ooh. picture of what a kelp bed's like? <laughs> but of course, let me get my watercolors. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> the kelp beds are unreal, you guys. Like the way oh, I don't even know how to explain it, Justin. It's just like magical. They're these long. They're attached to the ground by the size of like a toonie root system, and they can go up for. I want to say meters, but you, yeah, me, they go for so long. Yeah. Yeah, I can say meters. We'll we'll, we'll convert. (laughs) Yeah. We'll we'll meet in the middle here. Um, Yeah. They, they can be super, super long. And at the top, they're like this big ball um, filled with air, I guess. And then they kind of have like hair sticking up and it's Mm -hmm. the kelp that um, seaweed that kind of comes off of the kelp ball at the top. And the, does that mean, does that make sense? <laughs> I need my paint. <laughs> you said a, you said a toonie. That that's a coin in Canada, right? Oh gosh, yes, that's a coin. Okay. <laughs> I was just gonna go with it. I was like, I don't know what that is. No way! Oh my gosh. Well, let me get off my beef. What do we polar bear and out of my igloo, and I'll explain what it. <laughs> It's a really oh, yeah. It's a small little coin. I don't know. Um, like a like a penny or I don't know penny. a dime. We don't have pennies. Anymore. Yeah, bigger than a dime. Wait, okay. dimes are? Is that Canadian? What do you guys dime. have down there? Well, yeah, pennies, dimes, nickels, quarters. So p- 
pennies are even though oh gosh you have pennies still <laughs> oh my gosh get with it <laughs> <laughs> just holding on to it yeah apparently. um no would you say like uh this is it like a fist it, just do it like a it's the size of a, of your fist in half okay yeah all right let's do that got it so the hair that's coming off of the kelp ball <laughs> 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 oh gosh it's um it can be so long and the way that the light can hit it, it amplifies the ocean. So when you're swimming in and amongst kelp beds, it's just like this magical lit up forest underwater. But instead of trees, you have these moving parts that are swaying like octopus legs. And they're just, yeah, it's truly magical. And the species you get that are attached to those guys and, and in and amongst them and the mm-hmm. fish that are hiding in them, it's just really cool. The deeper you dive, the the more away of that kelp hair that you get. And you can just look up and you see the light coming from the surface of the water and hitting the kelp beds. And it's just, yeah, it's really special. I think you, you've got some cool uh, some cool pictures uh, in your in your first article where you talk specifically about your sea lion encounter. Oh God! Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, talk about there, and there's some cool photos in there that kind of illustrate what a kelp bed is. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I I lived on the West Coast for a little while in in Southern California, and, and we have them nice. uh, like the kelp kelp forest there as well too. I never dove on them. Uh, it's cold water. And as many people that listen to this podcast know, not a fan of the cold. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I have a seven mil wetsuit. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, maybe they make a 10 mil. I'd be yeah. like just <laughs> floating. <laughs> um, so cool. So, um, thinking about, so sea urchin, yeah. uh, you mentioned that, um, how many different kind of varieties are out there and like, how, mm. how do you go about collecting those? I haven't done that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I tried to do a quick Google search because I wasn't too sure how many species are out there. I'm not even going to try and guess, but the ones that I'm going for are the the purple and red ones. Um, Hmm. Recently, I've realized that the purple ones are the more tasty uni, um, which is the row, the egg row that's on the inside. Um, They're kind of in strips along the inside of the sea urchin. Um, Super tasty, super rich, super buttery. Um, I mostly, I don't necessarily, a lot of people love harvesting them and taking them home. Um, I mostly have it as a snack when I'm in and amongst my adventure. So I'll get on shore or get on boat and and, um, chop them up and and pass them around. Ideally, you have some soy sauce to to help scarf scarf it down. And it's pretty funny watching your friends that have never tried it before, like looking at this thing in my hand that I'm offering to them and little curious, little confused, but obviously excited to, <laughs> to try something new. And yeah. You're eating them raw. Yes. Yeah. Most things that I harvest, I'll eat raw. Scallops are my favorite thing to eat raw when you're um, out and about. It's like, so it's sweet. Like it's not the same as when you cook them. It's like a candy. It's, it's really cool. But yeah, with, um, the uni, it's it's raw. I, I had a bad yeah. I had a bad experience with raw oysters, so most people uh, have. Yeah, <laughs> I I tend to stick stay away from the raw raw seafood nowadays. 
Oh, yeah. So oh, you didn't do my poke bowl dreaming recipe. <laughs> I didn't know. Just kidding. I get it. No, I get it. My mom's the same. She won't eat raw seafood. She tried my poke, one little nibble. That was like her first, first ceviche, like raw anything. But yeah, oh, I, it's, I it took to me eat, a while. I definitely didn't when I was a kid. I used to eat sushi and stuff all the time. And I was like, oh, oysters, you know, when in Rome. And that did, I woke up in the middle of the night and it, it was not not a good thing so yeah i, huh. I don't want to don't want to go through that again totally fair yeah yeah it, it's it's a fair assumption like it, it takes a little bit i've eaten some things like there was a i'm trying to remember i remember the exact moment it happened i remember the restaurant i was at i remember what i was eating and i <laughs> remember thinking to my i don't remember what i was wearing <laughs> close but i remember taking a bite of it uh and it was a restaurant here in key west and it was a, a boudin ball um, you know what? Are you familiar with what boudin is? It's like a Cajun sausage. Mm-hmm. So like roll them and make these little fried dough balls that are coated. But I bit into it and it wasn't cooked all the way. And I Oof. knew it. And I was like, this is not going to end well. But I was like, ah, I'm going to trust the process. So I like finished the one. I didn't eat the others. And then, yeah, same thing. Like Corey it hit me that night. I was just mm-hmm. like, oh. But uh, I, I'm a little gun shy now of, of, of going back there. And like it was off their specials menu. So I was. Mm. Ooh. Ooh, a little sketchy. Yeah. But I, yeah, I yeah. totally I get it with the oysters. Oysters are a tough one. I right outside my backyard. I'm right on the ocean here and oysters will come up at low tide and I'll collect them in a pile and I'll be like, is today the day I'm going to do it? Shuck them and eat them. Nope, never. I haven't done it. There's been so many. It's really tough to navigate oysters. There's red tides, which is what causes the, I don't even know what the scientific um, process is behind it, but I think it's some kind of nutrient in the the soil or whatever is happening in the ocean that causes it to be toxic. So um, it's a, it's it's a a bacteria, Bacteria. I I believe, Mm. I believe it's a bacteria that causes like a, like a toxic shock. I forget what it is. Uh, I always get it mixed up with like cigatera, uh, which is, I think, a similar thing. But it's anyway. an alg- algae, algae, algae bloom. Algae, yeah, 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 algae bloom, yeah. Um, so they have. So when I was living in California, we had to pay a, a, a good attention to it. a lot. Of, I think a lot of states in the U.S. have it, and I'm, I'm curious if if they might have it up there. There's like a hotline you can call or a website you can go and check uh, with like your department of natural resources or your fishing game or whatever. And they'll tell you like, it's good to harvest in this area, not good to harvest in this area. And like there, there's usually a department that tracks it pretty well. So might, might be a good resource for, for you or for anybody out there that's interested in collecting their own. I know I use it a lot in California. We don't have it as much here in the keys. We, we've, got uh i've seen like scallops and stuff out but not really uh i haven't dove into (laughs) dove into that world but um (laughs) sorry (laughs) is that a little mermaid reference what is that (laughs) maybe i don't know it was a pun i caught myself in a pun but uh no that's fair and uh I, i think it's those those things i don't know Corey. i'm gonna come up and visit Maybe we try to give him give him another go. I don't know. Think about it. Mull it over. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> but um, let's see. So sea urchin we talked about. Um, 
So eating them raw. So uh, do you think better or uh, do you think restaurant quality is higher? I can personally say I haven't had sea urchin row in a restaurant. Ooh. Um, yeah. Have you? Mm-hmm. Really? Yep. In mm-hmm. like a sushi bar? I can see mm-hmm. it like on a sushi. plat of rice, like when you get the salmon eggs on top. Um, yep. That kind of similar. Thing. So like a smaller roll. So uh, I was going to say about the size of a half dollar, but um, <laughs> <laughs> a toonie. yeah. Uh, so probably like, I don't know, about double the width of my finger. So yeah. And it'll be a seaweed wrap with like maybe some rice in the bottom or maybe it's just straight, uh, straight row in there, hmm. but, but it's pretty good. And it just gives you like a little point to pick it up and eat it. Hmm. Um, yeah, I've had it that way. I'm trying to think how else I've had it. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. I know in in like the Mediterranean coast in Europe and stuff that sometimes they just scoop it straight out that's and they'll crack the shell. That's yeah. all I've done ever. Yeah, I haven't taken it home and cooked it with it or anything, which I should. I just it's so pokey, and I just I don't want to deal with the poke when I get home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, different kind of poke. <laughs> poke bowl. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um <Uh-oh. laughs> getting into the world of free diving like what's what's one of your your favorite moments down there uh, i know we've shared we've shared some pretty cool ones already yeah um there's just so many that come to mind i feel so lucky to have so many awesome stories to to share about um I shared about my salmon diving. I shared about my one sea lion interaction. My next article, I think, might be about my other sea lion interactions. I I dropped in with like four hundred sea lions just Ooh, swimming not, around, and this sounds like a great adventures for food episode. So I think I think we need a cliffhanger right here. So we we direct our <laughs> listeners to the to the adventures for food episode. Ooh. That's called marketing right there. <laughs> Boom. That's why we pay um, yeah. that's why we pay Corey the big bucks. Nice. Love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, another story. Hmm. There's this pretty cool one. I went sailing with a friend out um just out of town here. And we sailed up the bar, uh, the sound and we were going after Lincoln. It was right before the Lincoln season was closing and and he had a, I think, 44-foot sailboat that I've never, it's just, it was stunning. I'd never been on a boat like that. And we anchored in this little bay area. Could hear sea lions over here, waves crashing over here. And we had this beautiful sunny zone. And we dropped in and and I started chasing around this lingcod. And actually, this is a really sad story. I don't know if I should continue telling it. But with a spear pole, when you get a big lingcod, it's really hard to like, spear it and then bring it up to the to the shore so i unfortunately poked it once and it got after got away from me so i spent like an hour and a half chasing around this one lingcod and and unfortunately did not land it um but so it was probably quite wounded and and another snack for another species Mm -hmm. um but that's kind of the way the world works a little bit sometimes that's the way i justify it anyways um but it was just a really, it was a cool experience. And it also was a triggering into getting into things that I can handle and having enough confidence and the enough, the better, the good equipment and the knowledge to be able to, to not go and hurt species like that and, and not land them. Like it felt really, 
felt pretty shitty after not sure if I can swear here, but it didn't feel good to not, to not land that fish that I, I injured. Um, so th that was a really good learning experience for me. And now I'm, I'm wanting to transition, transition to get a spear gun so I can land the bigger fish that I am wanting to go after and, and can go after. I, I ran into some of the same things. So I started uh, right before the beginning of 2020. I, I subsequently sold my spear gun. So uh, I had a spear gun that I liked, but I was like, I'm not really using it anymore. Uh, I'm starting to travel more and hunt, so less time in the ocean. And then one of my buddies here was like, hey, we should start spearfishing more. And I was like, what? Shoot. <laughs> I was like, well, I just sold my gun. So I, I went the same route you did. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go traditional. I'm going to go pole spear uh, because we were hitting a lot of the docks and uh, um, like some of the jetties here close to my house. And, and I was like smaller fish opportunities. And, and then we started progressing, going out with friends in the boat and uh, started running a almost exact same scenario. Like I shot a, a I shot a, a yellow jack and uh, literally I remember it. These guys fight pretty hard. Even if you have a spear gun too, like they'll, they'll fight with your line. But I remember having my like six foot long spear pole, uh, in, in this, uh, yellow jack. And it's just like, it's bouncing. Like the fiberglass is flexing back and forth and he's like fighting it. And I'm trying to hold my arm straight and I'm trying to get to the top. And then as I get to the top, it's like another, uh, 20 meter swim uh to the to the 20, boat 20 foot 20 meter 20 20 meters 20 okay, meters okay. 20, <laughs> it's like 20 meters swim <laughs> uh it's a 20 meter swim to the boat and so like i'm trying to drag him and then uh one of my buddies shouts shark and i was just like oh man hmm. like one just one of those days but no nonetheless uh I, I did get him back to the boat so that i was pretty stoked about that but the fight and in that moment though because there's nothing you like outside of grabbing them and and you know popping the gills or something like that, yeah. uh, uh, it's just not a lot. And they pop off and you lose them and the oh. emotions. Yeah, it's like it's equivalent to losing a deer in the woods or you know something like that. Like it's something you've you've injured or hurt and mm -hmm. uh, it didn't complete the process. So for sure, to totally relate with you. Sorry, sad note. No, totally sad, but also switching gears if I can. Oh my gosh, I haven't, I've swam with sharks. I've experienced sharks in the water from a boat out here. And then I went diving on the North Shore in, um, on Oahu with friends and, and Galapagos sharks. Like, what is the experience like with like spearfishing with sharks around? Like, how do you navigate that? Um, so uh, we we had a, we had a guest back in our first season on the podcast. Um, he, he's a spear fishing uh, guide down here and he does commercial spear fishing and stuff like that. And he's like, people ask that question, like, you know, maybe in a little more detail, like, do you, do you encounter sharks? Are there sharks here? Stuff like that. And his answer, and I, I say this in jest, not to be serious. He's like, take down, stick your finger in the water, taste it. Like if there's salt there, there's sharks here. <laughs> and people are like, Oh, Oh, okay. Um, no, it, it's usually like, um, I, I put a time to it. Honestly, like when we'll go out and we'll hit five or six spots and it's usually about a 20, 30 minute mark before the sharks do start showing up. No, uh, as you're spearing fish or just nope. the, yeah, yeah. Take that you're there. No, as you're spearing fish and it's like, yeah. um, you, you hear people, different theories and, and, you know, 
you've got people that after you spearfish, like if you know there's a shark in the area or something like that, um, they'll trail their leader. They'll take, you know, part of the line and they'll wrap around their knife and they'll just kind of hold it taut. And that way if the shark jerks, they can, they have the tension already to cut the line and just let the spear go. Uh, you got people that will uh, cradle the fish and hold it close. Like there's a lot of different theories and, and there's people that go in pairs and, uh, Actually, funny enough, you mentioned this. Uh, so Will, uh, who who works uh, with us doing a lot of the film projects and stuff, he and I put together a, a, a small story and a uh, a recipe for spearing magazine that just came out. I actually just got it in the mail two days ago. And it, it talks about he and one of our buddy Dave had a run-in with a tiger shark down here. Uh, yeah, and they were like – they were chasing some grouper and the grouper had gone down into one of the reefs and Dave like popped down and Will kind of saw something out of the corner of his eye. And it was like, Oh, what is that? And kind of like looked over and saw kind of the, the tail going off. And so he like dove down and like tapped Dave who was about to shoot this, you know, sizable grouper and bring him back up. And so he tapped Dave and it was like, gave him the cancel sign, like, no, 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 no. And then gestured him to go up. And so they went up and as they got up, he like came probably, maybe will says six or so six or seven feet like just kind of like made a pass by them and they just like stuck back to back i was on the boat i just got back on the boat one of our other buddies was seasick and they yelled like hey come get us and so i like pulled up the anchor real quick and whipped the boat around and we ended up picking them up no no confrontation but it's still like one of those moments you're just like whoa like it's apparent you're you know you're you're hunting in their domain. You're a competitor. Oh yeah. You're a competitor and you're also a guest, right? Like it's so humbling yeah. when you have experiences like that. that just kind of remind you like the ocean is freaking huge and I am puny. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. That's pretty wild. So, uh, I think just manage it like for us, usually if, if we run, it depends on what kind of sharks, uh, too. So like we have really aggressive bull sharks here, uh, you get, like nurse sharks or some of the reef sharks or black tip sharks aren't as aggressive. So, uh, you can kind of like go around them or, you know, just become real careful. I tend to just get out of the water. Yeah. Um, I would probably I, I, do the same. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's whatever. Everybody likes having a hand on the boat to, to give fish to and stuff like that. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll go in and swim around for a bit. And then I'm like, all right, I, I think I'm, I'm good. Like I've seen the sights, I've seen the fish. I may or mm-hmm. may or may not have shot one at this point or two. And then mm-hmm. I go back to the boat. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Cool. So no, that was, that was a good, uh, I, I liked it. That was a good, um, good segue into shark talk. <laughs> so Kendra, you, you are an adult onset, Spear angler, uh, forager, outdoor enthusiast. Spear angler. Spear. I didn't like want to. I didn't want to say fisherman because she's a woman. But um. that's okay. Uh, I, I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. A, a common term is spiro. Spiro. Like I've learned. Spiro. spiro. Yeah. Yeah. I've but. never heard that, but let's go for it. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> I like I like the, the spear angler. That's cool. No, sorry, sorry not to interject on your your question, Corey. But have you have you tried hunting, like big game hunting, or even small game hunting, or has it mostly been confined to the ocean? It's definitely been more so in the water. I feel like that's kind of been the 
I've been given access to a lot of that here, um, living on the ocean. I had a, a ex-partner of mine who was from more interior BC and, and was into more hunting. And um, I shot a couple guns, which was cool, um, and was able to go to a couple, I don't even know what to call them, but like hunting uh like at the end of the season when you're like, okay, I got the biggest cat. I got the biggest bear. I got like, what is that? Called? Oh, like a banquet. Yeah. Like a hunting yeah. banquet. And everybody brought their own, their best bear jerky or, or white tailed deer sausage or whatever they, they, their specialty was. They all brought that and we're just like, oh, you're so-and-so like eat this, eat this, eat this. And I'm just like trying all this cool, like wild game. And, and I really appreciated, um, that I just I haven't myself done any of the the on land um, hunting as much, but I, I definitely have intentions. I would love to get out there and and be part of that and get after it. I know there's been some. Um, what's the bird out here? Is it quail? Is that a no? Yeah, yeah. Quail, quail, pheasant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think people like in, around this area actually go out like and do that, but. Yeah, I haven't done, haven't done any of the hunting, hunting. Cool. Yeah. But I want to, totally want to. I want to experience everything. Be cool. Nice. I like it. So, what what's your favorite fish to eat? Ooh. Right now it's tuna, but in the past it's been halibut. Ooh, I like you the like halibut. butt. The butt is good. <laughs> <laughs> um. So let's see. So what what other food do you enjoy there on uh? in bc on the island it's pretty funny i i've been vegan i was vegan for over a year um very plant-based no cheeses no eggs no meats no nothing and and i really i never speak negatively about that diet at all i really enjoyed the energy levels i had i really enjoyed um the balance of how much activity I was doing versus how much nutrients i needed at that time in my life and i really really speak highly of being vegan and I do try and eat vegan when I um, feel like I'm not needing a lot of protein. So um, yeah, I, I enjoy plant-based meals as well a lot. Um, but I like, I try and stay away a little bit from red meats. Just, I, it doesn't sit well in my tummy. It kind of sits heavy. So, um, but I enjoy a burger and, you know, the ribs and yeah, chicken's good too. And yeah, yum, yum. Every nice. kind of food. <laughs> <laughs> Except cilantro. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Are you, yeah. are you, uh, uh, are you a cilantro taste like soap person? Yeah. So it's an enzyme on your oh, tongue. Man. It's genetics and I don't I'm know sorry. anything else, but yeah, it's really sad because, I really want to like it. I know it adds a lot of fresh yumminess and it's cheap and it's green and it's, yeah, it's in oh, a lot man. of things too. So it's tough. <laughs> Corey, are you a, are you a soap cilantro taster? No, nope, I, I enjoy cilantro. It seems really harsh. <laughs> no, nope, I enjoy Good. it. Yeah, yeah, I too. I, I've got two, uh, two of my friends they're they're married and they were and i was over at their house cooking and i was like all right i'm gonna do this and this and this and they're like we don't really like cilantro i was like wait, <laughs> wait are you what? both like what what is the chance of that um i mean i guess it's the same chance as like my wife is the same as i i am with it yeah. so uh 
50-50 in the cilantro world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, they 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 bore it and they they ate it uh, and enjoyed the the meal. So it was good. I Aww. mad respect to them for that. They just told you they enjoyed the meal. They didn't actually. It literally <laughs> is a meal ruiner. <laughs> oh, man. Don't hurt my feelings like I'm that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I take it back, but not really. <laughs> so what's what's next on your, your bucket list of things to do in the world or uh, locally? or? I almost, got, I almost got a list off, a bucket listed item off today. The herring are spawning right now. So it oh, nice. creates this like milky, really cool illusion along the coastline because tens of thousands will come along the shore and, and, and spawn and put their sperm into the water and do the thing. And, and I wanted to dive in it because that's what you do when you see cool stuff like that. No, but I found out I had a friend go diving in it a couple of days ago and she said, just go along the side. Cause you'll see the herring, but when you're in it, it's, you can't see anything. Cause it's just, mm. yeah. So a uh, bucket list would definitely in the next couple of weeks here, getting into the herring spawn. Cause that's where there's a, crap ton of whales out here now this is like when whales are coming out here so usually we tip we have a whale festival going on right now um oh cool but there's a bazillion whales around here i haven't seen any orcas but there's lots of humpbacks and grays and as i'm looking out to my ocean view right now i'm like are they here what's going on but yeah <laughs> I, I, bucket list would definitely i know i'm not supposed to be in the water with whales but if the experience were to stumble upon my path i would love to be in the water with some whales oh that's cool mm -hmm. Corey, do, you, do you have any other questions no we've, we've talked about quite a bit yeah i told see i told you we'd make it through this list yeah i'm proud <laughs> of you i just love talking <laughs> I, I think i i think i am too i i, I don't know <laughs> I, I go in spurts yeah all right definitely awesome conversation I like talking about this stuff and it's cool to get another perspective because you and I are like almost opposite sides of the, the continent here. Yeah. Where are you again? Key West, Florida. So like the Florida Keys. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Should I'm we like closer. swap for a bit? <laughs> yeah. What is that like when you do the, you do house, like the house swap? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm in a trailer in a tiny house, so I don't know if you and your wife I mean, would enjoy that too much. I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's it's the coolest view you'll ever see. <laughs> well, uh, maybe like September time frame when it's super hot down here, we could trade. I'll get a break. Yeah, I'm keen. <laughs> I'm definitely keen. No. Awesome. Uh, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Ooh, follow me on Instagram. <laughs> it's probably the best. I'm I'm on my phone all the time. It's at Kendra Stoner. I definitely like to post a lot about my adventures. And right now I'm definitely hoining in on my spearfishing adventures and free diving stuff. So reach Sweet. out to me there and follow me. Yeah, follow follow my journey. Would love to have you. Cool. Uh, and then we also do last thing where we give uh, we give the opportunity. Everybody gets a, a last thought, a misfire, alibi, whatever, whatever you want to do or or not do. So uh, being that you're the, the the guest with us today, what uh, do you have a last thought for us or for the listeners? I think just if you're curious about something, just try it. You know, like I think there's so many people that have reached out to me saying they're inspired by the activities I'm getting up to. And I just tell them to have some courage, like get after it. If you want to try something, try it. If you want to live in a van one time in your life, do it. You know, the 
it's nothing but the present. So get after it, peeps. <laughs> yeah. Do yeah. it. Do it. Uh, Corey, last thought. Uh, just thank you for coming on, Kendra. It was it was uh, nice talking with you. Um, I'm going to hold you to recording that Adventures for Food episode. <laughs> so plan on doing Remind that. Me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me, you guys. That was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. And uh, uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I do. Um, I'm, I'm finding myself equally interested in things that go on below the water as above the water. Um, so it, it's a fun world. And I, I like hearing about other people's adventures and exploration of it, of that environment. Uh, it encourages me to get out, encourages me to try to push past shark questions and all those other <laughs> things that, that happen. But, uh, no, I, I think it's a, a valuable food source and I appreciate our conversations on, um, on chatting about like food security and, and really getting in touch with food. So I, I think that's mm-hmm. really awesome. And, Thanks for sharing all the great stories and the poke recipe, which I'm a huge fan. Uh, I'm going to have to try your yours. I have my own that I stick by, uh, but I'm, I'm I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely open to to modifying. So I'll, I'll I'll do that as well. Cool. So and then for everybody else there else out there. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, show notes will be online. So scroll down whatever podcast platform you listen to. It'll be there. And then uh, head over to uh, Instagram. Make sure you're following Kendra. And then once you're there, make sure, double check, triple check, make sure you haven't unfollowed us uh, at Harvest of Nature because uh, you'll miss all the great news that we got going on. And then um, don't forget about that cool Facebook community group. It's a great interaction point. And then, uh, as always, uh, use that rate the podcast link and get a chance to get a hat. Punch the five-star button. Tell us what we're doing wrong or tell us what we're doing right. Thanks, and have a good night.